0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Today on Off Taco Empire, Minnesota's all-out attack comes up short. Iowa takes Pennix in Indiana to Poundtown. Maryland and Purdue manage P5 wins. Michigan State and Penn State travel west and put up big. And Nebraska's week zero loss ages like month-old Midwestern dairy. Tune in for more details this week on Off-Tackle Empire.
1: Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off-Tackle Empire! Welcome back to Off-Tackle Empire, the official podcast of Off-Tackle Empire and your source. For everything about Big Ten football that there is And there was nothing more Big Ten football Than Wisconsin heading into halftime against Penn State With a 0-0 to tie Wouldn't you agree? I'm Steve Braun, a.k.a. Thump I'm here with Andy Kiesewski as usual We're here to talk about Week 1 Where the Big Ten uh, led off with one of the biggest games imaginable and by biggest, I mean with a one. I
0: mean most, most postponed in terms of the Temple versus Rutgers matchup. Just had to wait a couple more days to build the anticipation, you see. The weather was a pretext to cancel that. On that point you mentioned, though, Wisconsin-Penn State being tied scoreless at halftime, this is why every single school needs to have at least an alternate logo that is the primary letter of their school so that when their games are tied at zeroes late in the proceedings, we can make more funny words out of the scores. Whoop! Or pooh! Whichever. Uh, so Penn State, just having the Nittany Lionhead logo as their only logo, you're not participating. We still saw your offense was bad in the first half. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. We're going to go in chronological order because we had games spread out over three days and then elsewhere in college football, the games continued for two more days after that. I do like that about Labor Day, to be honest.
1: Yeah, so I'm hitting what seems to be our most common win-fight tribe rooster of the week, which is water. I looked around my place for... Anything else? that felt like drinking, and uh, nope, I'm I'm detoxing after a very very long weekend in college football.
0: A pretty good weekend overall, though. Some of the more high profile games really disappointed in terms of the competitiveness or the interesting factor, if, if that's if that's a word for what we saw on the field. But we got some good games from unexpected places, and this is where I'm going to point out, while from our last week's discussion, that I'm always right, and everyone should listen to me because. I said that Minnesota would be able to keep it a competitive game against Ohio State, and they did. And I honestly think if Mo Ibrahim doesn't get hurt in the third quarter and take all the wind out of Minnesota's sails, maybe it's a game into the fourth quarter. Now granted, the ultimate result is what most people expect that Ohio State wins, and they win by two scores, and they put up 45 points without a whole lot of effort. But there is a defensive touchdown in there. There are several long plays in there, which basically the... <laughs> Really, the problem and the reason that Minnesota would have lost this game, even if Ibrahim had stayed healthy, was that their defense remains a disorganized mess in the back end. I don't on two of his long, on his two touchdown catches, I believe. I think on both of them, there's nobody within 15 yards of Olave when he catches the ball. How do you lose track of Chris Olave to that extent? Like, I get they got another guy you got to watch, but. The field, the field's not that big. Like, you should not be able to keep mention, track I mean, of the All american Just how much
1: value was it that they were able to get to Garrett Wilson all the time, considering that all he did was made them miss and get the first down anyway.
0: Sure, on most of the swing passes, then on his long touchdown, he's like, "Oh well, I'm in the slot and there's a safety opposite me. I bet his hips don't match mine." And so he made a little stutter step, like he was running a corner route, and goes to the post instead, and the safety's trying to pick up his own pelvis, and they it's an did easy touchdown. Not
1: lie. So,
0: yeah, um,
1: the main takeaway here if you're Ohio State is c j. Stroud has some work to do,
0: yeah, especially early on. We saw him miss basically if it had to miss some open throws early. He settled into a little bit of a rhythm after he hit some long throws, which maybe is a little counterintuitive, but give a young quarterback like that a shot of confidence, and it's easy to see how that goes, and you know, we discussed our way uh to Chicago this weekend that for Ohio State, it's really not a bad play for a young quarterback to just have him flip the ball to Wilson on a a swing or a screen seven or eight times a game and tell the opposing defense, hey, tackle that guy. Prove to me that you can tackle that guy right at the line of scrimmage. And even if you have him dead to rights and all your defenders are lined up, he's still likely to make seven to ten yards out of it.
1: Well, you did notice, I mean, you did note that, um, that Stroud looked not the part of the best quarterback in the Big Ten, of course, you know, we went with Michael Penix, who also didn't look like the best quarterback in the Big Ten this week. But we're getting ahead of, but not to get too details, ahead of details, details, details. It, it's weird because it feels like I just keep feeling. Didn't we already discuss this game? And it only feels like that because it happened five days ago.
0: Yeah, it's Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so of course we're recording a little bit late here because, as mentioned, we were both gone for the weekend. Returned in the afternoon yesterday, and honestly, just weren't feeling it. So from the Minnesota perspective. Losing what I- a
1: series of gut punches!
0: Yeah, losing Ibrahim sucks, and that's they already had Chrisman, Chris Altman belt out. But it sounds as though he's going to return at some point. So if you're looking for silver linings, they did find a new, certainly at worst, a new number two receiver, and they were pronouncing it Dalen right on the broadcast. It is spelled like your run of the mill Dylan. But if Dalen is what it is, Dalen is what it is. The transfer from Texas A and M.
1: Are you sure that they weren't splitting the difference between that? And Dylan, who is, of course, one of the best five, one of the top five hottest rappers out there.
0: Dylan Wright, one of the five Dailan, best ha- Dailan, receivers of all time.
1: Dylan, Dylan, and Dylan, because he hit C spits Hot Fire. So, all those bad things happened to Minnesota in a very short time span. They were leading, and then suddenly they lost the lead, and then they immediately gave up another touchdown, and then their uh, star player went out. So,. It, uh, things can change fast. It felt, like, uh, felt a bit more like watching motor racing and your guy hits the wall leading.
0: Yeah, more or less. In that it's a pretty sudden reversal of fortune that snowballs into a thing that you can't recover from. So, again, silver linings, they did get a decent game out of Dalen Wright. And although Mo Ibrahim has gone down, they have had success in finding the next man up at running back in the And past. one of the reasons
1: is because their offensive line did look pretty good. Yeah, It's one of the reasons not to be too down on their future ability to run the ball, because they did make plenty of hay against the Buckeyes' front seven.
0: Yeah, and that being said, I mean, Ohio State's defense has been their question mark for a few seasons now. They're certainly not going to face another offense that good the rest of the year. So, I guess if you're Minnesota, you take this loss for what it is, which is you know what you expected, and you do find some positives out of it, even losing um, an excellent player like Ibrahim. Mean, so
1: they might actually play more consistent offenses, but they certainly won't play another one that can, you know, that where the coaches can say, "Gee, I sure would like another insurance touchdown. Let's put out a, like a generational talented running back that's just been sitting on our bench this whole game."
0: Yeah, yeah, and they just flip him a flip him a little screen, and then he takes it seventy yards because not only is he probably the strong, one of the strongest guys on the field, he's also the fastest. Oh. So. Uh, yep, Travion Henderson is the next guy who you're counting down days until he leaves for the draft, and hope that the next guy's not quite as good.
1: Really, all you can do is hope that he gets mad that he didn't get all the carries in that game. I mean, that that seems to be the only way those guys ever leave—not <laughs> ever, but you know, leave without uh, crushing you a few times.
0: Yeah. Also, I suppose it's also worth pointing out that a guy who I don't think anyone outside the program, because you know, the other thing is, my like Ryan Day in the off season did talk a lot about Mayan Williams. And it was one of those things where as an outsider you look at like, yeah, okay, sure, this you know former three-star is going to take snaps away from Master Teague and keep Trevion Henderson off the field. But he kind of did. Uh, and if he hadn't cracked off a 70-yard touchdown early in the game, the pressure on Ohio State would have been substantially higher at the beginning because they had that little bit of pressure release there. Stroud was able to take his time and settle in. And you know eventually the pressure of Ohio State's talent finds the cracks in Minnesota's uh, defense and washes it all away in, a, in the blink of an eye, really. So, yeah, um, I, I think there's a couple lessons to be here. First is I still think Minnesota is going to be a factor in the West with that run game. They've got some backups, who none of whom have taken anything like the load that Ibrahim has, but they've cycled through guys in the past. Bryce Williams is a guy who two years ago had, maybe it was even three years ago now, had a substantial role and then has just fallen off the radar because they haven't needed him. I would actually think he's probably the best candidate to take that lead role, even though he's not been the first or even second guy off the bench when Ibrahim was healthy. So all that being said, we'll uh, we'll talk about the game that you and I went and saw in person, which is Michigan State going to Northwestern. And I'll tell you, as a fan of a team that's had a really terrible offense the last several years, it sure would have been fun to see my running back go 75 yards on the opening play from scrimmage. But uh, you and me and my eight other bachelor party bros were standing in the security line at one of Northwestern's gate as their mom and pop stadium operation was operating two metal detectors per entrance point um of, of which i assume there are only four because we came in on the south side of the stadium and only went past one gate there's probably two on the other end that makes a total of eight entry points for however many thousands of people are getting in it's not like Northwestern's never hosted Michigan State before they know we have fans in the city and they come up with eight metal detectors. It's
1: fucking embarrassing. Yeah. So I, as, as it, it took us around a half an hour, and I just became increasingly frustrated and started, you know, started trying to get some people's attention by just I just started insisting to no one in particular that Northwestern fans should turn around and go home as Michigan State was in position to make it a fourteen nothing game. Nothing to see here. Go back to your book learning. Just get out of here. They. Should, I mean. I guess it's a viable strategy for them to keep out visiting fans, you know, slow their entrance into the stadium into a trickle, but it's ultimately not, you know, mattering so far in this first quarter, was my thought, as, uh, boy, it seems to be all Michigan State, and you can
0: tell that because the crowd is very happy. (laughs) The crowd is making a lot of noise, yeah. And given that I bought the tickets from the athletic department directly, I may still do the Big Ten thing and write them a sternly phrased email. Um, So to get into the game a little bit. Dear sir or madam. (laughs) To whom it may concern. Dear
1: sirs and or madams
0: (laughs) and or combinations thereof. Uh, It is fun to see that Michigan State has an actual threat on offense again in Kenneth Walker III, though. He was excellent, and the win on the road in a game that controlled most of the way is the story, but to get there with this, I mean... 264 yards and four touchdowns is the kind of production you haven't seen for Michigan State since Le'Veon Bell, and Bell would need 40 to 50 touches to do that. Walker only needed 23 carries. I, I think he might have had one or two receptions.
1: I mean, it's one of the better
0: performances
1: in a conference game in recent memory for a running back.
0: You can subtract that 75-yard run on the opening play, and it's still almost 200 on damn near 10 yards a carry for three more touchdowns. Like He was... He, you know, honestly, the guy he reminded me most of in his running style is actually Amir Abdullah, except he didn't fumble. He's He's got stop, start, change of direction, burst, power, a lot of stuff to like. I haven't seen him use much as a receiver, and I don't know if they're going to bother because they have a lot of backs they want to use. But yeah, I, they play Youngstown State this weekend. We'll get into that in the preview episode. I can't imagine they're going to need more than 15 carries out of him to put that game away. Um, it's easy to imagine that he's capable of bigger things. I mean, if this is the kind of production he gets from this, if you do have to give him 30 carries in game, what could he do with that? So that was very exciting. They ended up, I didn't really know for sure what they would do with the starting quarterback. I probably would have guessed Anthony Russo because they brought the guy in as a grad transfer. He physically looks much more like all the quarterbacks they're recruiting. So you get a pretty good idea. That's what Mel Tucker wants in a quarterback, ideally. But he ends up going with Peyton Thorne. And Thorne, to his credit showed a lot of improvement from last season, especially in decision-making. He picked up a few third downs, but there were also other pressured plays that last year he would have just uncorked a throw into coverage and probably turned it over. But he avoided that this year. Still don't know about his ultimate ceiling with the deep ball. And with a couple receivers like Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor, that would be a little bit of a shame. But given that this run game, especially the offensive line, now that Jarrett Horse, the transfer from Arkansas states in a tackle... They look so much better running the ball.
1: It's hard to really say what uh, exactly he left on the table as far as the deep passing game is concerned because he didn't seem to see Naylor that often compared to Reed.
0: That's true, and it's an easy thing to conclude that given they were high school teammates, perhaps there is a preferential relationship there that might be to the detriment of the other receivers, but it was also a low-volume passing attack. Um, Northwestern does still have a pretty strong secondary. I would imagine, again, that the coach... The coaching staff in film sessions is like take you know doing the thing where you draw on the screen that show, like they're just like taking a sharpie and like drawing like five circles around Brandon Joseph like don't throw near this guy, um, given the season that he had last season and they didn't they didn't give Joseph a chance to impact the game or make any plays. Northwestern did force a fumble, but it was late in the game when it was really already out of hand. And from the Northwestern perspective, then. The defense obviously becomes the huge question mark here now. And it is true that in the last three years now, Michigan State has gone 3-0 and scored about 33 points per game against Northwestern, which is like 15 points higher than their scoring average. So there's some weird alchemy at play there to an extent. But this is also the first season under a new defensive coordinator in Jim O'Neill, a guy where there's maybe some whispers of a little bit of a nepotistic relationship, an old buddy of Fitzgerald's.
1: So it's actually an ideal spot for MSU to play Northwestern in because, one, you've got the first game under mm-hmm. a new coordinator, yeah. and two, it's Northwestern in September replacing yeah. a lot of starters. I mean, that's that's just a nightmare for Northwestern and just exactly when I wish Illinois could play them.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I'm keeping the recording of this game on the old DVR. Uh, sticking that away like, like a 6-year-old vintage and letting it age because I feel like it's going to turn out looking a lot better towards the end of the year. Um, Hunter Johnson, who we kind of raised our eyebrows at as the starter, certainly looked the part. I mean, he, he looked every bit of a 5-star quarterback. Didn't make take a ton of shots deep down the field, but did complete a couple when he tried. You know, he made some accurate throws, but he also made more difficult throws
1: than he really needed to because In he some was cases, very... Yeah. He very much went to his first read. He wasn't looking through his progressions that well. I just I noticed that he did, in fact, make some of those throws, but it was also like, man, you didn't have to do that one. That's, so that's while it was true. impressive, it was also kind of like, you know, maybe against a, a more ball-hawking secondary, he wouldn't have gotten away with those.
0: It's true, and there is also... So if you're looking at room for improvement for Michigan State, there certainly is some in uh, on the defensive side in particular, in that when they attempted to rush without blitzing, they did not get home. Um Northwestern's got a pretty good offensive line, but when Johnson had a clean pocket, which he generally did if Michigan State didn't blitz, he was able to find his guys. You get you saw what we're gonna see this year that he's got Bryce Kurtz and Stefan Robinson as go as go to receivers. The run game, the averages aren't gonna look too too terrible because Evan Hull had like a sixty yarder or something like It may not have been that long, but it was at least a forty to 45, 50 yarder. And Again, subtracting that outlier play their per carry average was pretty poor but it was also i think it was also a situation where not knowing what they would see from a new starting quarterback maybe mel tucker wanted to make johnson beat them but they did also send blitzes from a lot more creative places than the previous staff did so you had sacks a sack from Cuvarius crouch linebacker and then sacks from xavier henderson out of the safety spot and uh ronald williams out of the corner so they've Made it pretty clear they're going to be throwing guys in from everywhere. And if they see other offensive lines this good, and Miami will be that in two weeks, it's pretty clear that to get pressure, they're going to have to blitz.
1: You know, unless their spirit is completely broken like other teams that have opened up with Bama in Week 1.
0: We'll see about that. It'll be. Int- I don't know who Miami plays this week, but yeah. That's... Boy had to
1: surrender the turnover chain after a replay review. <laughs>
0: oh my god, I forgot all about that. That is true, yes. Uh, Miami thought they had. I don't even remember if it was an interception or a fumble or what, but I think it was a fumble because it was overturned, right? Yeah. So um, the guy
1: was wearing the turnover chain on the sideline <laughs> for a solid two, three minutes. And he's
0: looking up at the scoreboard, and then there's like, you can hear like indistinct over the loudspeaker. He just like puts his head down and takes the chain off and hands it to the coach. That's got like, the, talk about the most, like the, the least hype moment of your life, perhaps. Um, but yeah, I. I have no complaints at all, it's a win on the road, it's an offense that looks dynamic and interesting, Um, defense still has some things to adjust, but look, here's what I'll say, which is that Tucker was right to bring in all those transfers, man, because a lot of them played, a lot of them are MSU's best players now, like, aside from Xavier Henderson, the best players on MSU's team were all guys Tucker brought in this offseason, so, no question that he made the right choice there.
1: So moving on to the big tennis game of the week. We had Penn State 16, Wisconsin 10. And uh, basically Wisconsin, uh, it was kind of a work of art to, to lose this game by them because they controlled the ball <coughs> for a vast majority of this one.
0: Yeah, a work of art in that it's it was a very complicated thing to do, to accomplish what they pulled off, and I still don't quite get it. Um, they go, I think, one for four in the red zone. They had a field goal blocked. Uh, Graham Mertz threw an interception on fourth and goal a go.
1: They had 29 first downs to eleven for Penn State. They yeah. held the ball for forty three minutes, yet they turned the ball over three times. Um, you know, red zone fumble, a blocked field goal. Uh, they they out Penn State like ninety to five through the first half of the game.
0: Yeah, and it does. It has to be said here. Well, all right, first of all, count down anyone's buying Graham Mertz's personally branded stuff this week. And yet their run game was held in check to a sufficient extent. I mean, again, their, their averages were decent. They did better than Penn State running the ball. But they still needed Graham Mertz to do a few things to win this game or at least not lose it for them. And the fumbles that we're talking about, it's not like the running back takes the ball and, he, and, the, and a linebacker just punches it out. These are fumbles on handoffs. Um, from Mertz to Malusi. And granted, Malusi's a transfer and he's a new starter. I think because Berger was hurt, actually, I ended up reading that summer because we couldn't figure out why they went with the transfer over the guy who looked like a potential star. But they fumbled twice on handoffs to running backs, um, and then down the stretch, Mertz has to make the throws, and he ends up throwing two interceptions. I get the second one was forced, but um, expectations for him may need to be recalibrated long-term is all I'm saying.
1: Because Wisconsin shouldn't have put him in that spot because... Wisconsin generally doesn't want to be in a spot where the quarterback has to win them the game. But he only that being ha- said he, he was yeah. supposed to be the quarterback that can win them the game.
0: And that was only the spot they were in because he couldn't even be historical Wisconsin quarterback earlier in the game. Wisconsin's defense was missing weo Chanel, one of their best linebackers um, on COVID protocols. And they still forced Penn State to go three and out on every drive in the first half except one. And even on that drive, Penn State only had one first down, only ran five plays on that drive. But then going the other direction, the only two serious drives Wisconsin could muster before halftime, they end in a blocked field goal and a lost fumble. So even at home, even in front of your raucous home crowd, the first home crowd you've had at Camp Randall in well over a year, they just couldn't finish drives and turn them into points. Um, and some credit due here, I suppose, to James Franklin, who pulled off his first road win against a top fifteen opponent. I think in like eleven or twelve tries, he had. And again, that's not a totally fair stat because a lot of those came at Vanderbilt. Okay, and there's a little, there's something of a difference in losing a road game as a as as Penn State against a highly ranked opponent and losing a road game as Vanderbilt going to Alabama or Georgia or Florida or LSU. It's still, though, the first big road game, you could say, of of his career that he's won. They're always a second-half team, and they're a team that's going to find a few big plays eventually, and so even with the offensive frustration they had in the first half, how do they get their points? Well, they break through with a long touchdown pass to Dotson, and then their second touchdown is set up by about a 40-yarder to Dotson, so... You, it's hard to hold a guy like him down forever. Wisconsin doesn't really have a top shelf shutdown corner anymore. But boy,
1: he sure did get behind everybody for that second one.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. He well, and again, it, you know, it's just a matter of time, especially because Penn State did stick with the running game to to a sufficient extent that Wisconsin had to respect it.
1: They only ran 18 times, but they eventually started
0: getting a little more than they were. I mean, they,
1: well, they most didn't run, of those They didn't run the many second. plays altogether. Yeah, most of those were in the second half.
0: Yeah. Um, And the other thing to point out, defensively, the easy story is, you know, Brandon Smith, the former superstar recruiting prospect, um, he's the guy who comes up with the goal line interception on fourth down, the first of the two. Um, Ellis Brooks had a huge day. But I also projected in the offseason that um, Arnold Abichetti from Temple would be an instant impact for them on the defensive line because they needed new guys at defensive end, losing um, Tony and... Uh, what's his nuts Jason Owe and I think I was right about that so I'll give myself a little pat on the back but this I think this game pretty cl- so the national narrative about this game I think is going to be god what a horrible game what an ugly thing to watch Penn State's defense went to Camp Randall and held Wisconsin to 10 points that to me tells me that if Sean Clifford turns into his best self they are the serious contender to Ohio State that we're all wondering if that team exists
1: Yep, especially because we know we know that uh, if it's not Penn State in the East, then at this point it, it's probably nobody because the team we picked sure isn't that. But um, as far as holding Wisconsin to 10 points, they certainly did it in a roundabout way because 2.38 to go in the game, first and goal at the Penn State 1, trailing by 6, and they couldn't turn that, and they turned that into some lost yards and then an interception thrown from, like, the 10.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, Maybe, again, my, again, you have Wisconsin going first and goal at the 1. And not punching it in. It's a, it's a thing that would be unheard of recently. So if it feels like we're running a bit long here, worry not. These next few are going to be pretty quick. Um, Rutgers 61, Temple 14. Not a whole lot to say here except that despite the final scoreline, this one did get interesting for a little bit into the second half. Rutgers jumped out to a 26 nothing lead, and then Temple had their touchdowns back-to-back right there, close it to 26-14. And from there, Rutgers finds it's playing just fine. I mean, they get defensive touchdowns. They're scoring all over. DeJuan Mathis times, so. had gotten into a rhythm. He got a couple of touchdowns.
1: And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, a touchdown went the other way.
0: Yeah. And that yep. was all she wrote. Yeah. And so they did get a little bit more of a test out of a 40-something point margin than you would normally expect. Temple's
1: bad, and uh, Rutgers has a baseline level of competence that has been kind of unheard of since their first season in the Big Ten.
0: Yep. Moving on to our next blowout, Nebraska 52, Fordham 7. Don't think we didn't notice, Nebraska, that this game was also tied early in the second quarter. We know perfectly well y'all were reaching for the Tums at one point. And again, granted, final margin is... All well and good. We also heartily welcome, all name, all American, absolute, stone-cold lead pipe, lock Chancellor Brewington, to everyone's collective awareness and expect him to become the focal point of Nebraska's passing attack forthwith. If you're not getting my man Chancellor 12 targets a game, Scott Frost, you are fucking up and you deserve the firing that's most likely still coming your way.
1: And then I want to talk about something else. Fordham now ESPN now credits Ryan Greenhagen, Fordham linebacker, with thirty-one total tackles. My dude. Which is which breaks an NCAA record since they kept defensive stats officially in two thousand starting in two thousand. That nobody else had
0: more than eight for Fordham, so that is a hell of an accomplishment. Dude did himself an ice bath. And we say since records were kept because it is pretty well known that Mike Singletary had individual games, and I believe in the same season, 1978, of 33 and 35 tackles for Baylor, which says two things. One, you probably already knew Mike Singletary's an insane wrecking machine of a human being football player when he was playing. And two, Baylor was really damn bad, because how do you let that, uh, your opponent have that many opportunities to be tackled? I wonder
1: if anybody ever asked him about his teammates, and I wonder... On defense, And I wonder if he ever said, cannot
0: play with him, cannot win, a... win with him, can't do it. <laughs> Presumably so. Elsewhere in blowouts, Michigan 47, Western Michigan 14. Again, another game where it took a much scrutinized program just long enough to assert themselves that their fans probably still caught a little bit of heartburn in a blowout win. Um, the thing was, Western's offensive line really wasn't good enough to let their quarterback get into much of a rhythm, much of a sync. And test Michigan's new look defense. They also Western Michigan, aside from their nose guard Ralph Holly, doesn't have anything on defense anymore. So Haskins and Blake Corum had no problem getting considerable yardage on the ground. And Michigan even got a little bump of that good future projection shit as JJ McCarthy got in, um, threw up, showed off impressive arm strength. Um, safety was totally out of position, but. Nonetheless, a downfield-crossfield strike to Daylon Baldwin, who strolled in for a touchdown. So you even got to keep alive the specter of the Michigan September Heisman. Hope endures always. Well,
1: the question is this. Are they going to outthink themselves and make a quarterback controversy? Or do you think they'll just do the smart thing and realize that their most successful teams under Harbaugh were quarterbacked by Jake Rudock and Wilton Spate?
0: It's an interesting question, and to find what I think will be the answer, I think we would do well to take a look at Michigan's schedule, because the answer to that question is, well, how long before they're out of the Big Ten race? Once upon a time, I would have said that trip to Camp Randall on October 2nd would be the date after which you expect to see the quarterback change. I don't know if that's the case anymore. We'll see what Wisconsin looks like with some time to course correct before they get back into Big Ten action.
1: And I believe that Penn State's better than Michigan.
0: Oh, by a mile, especially on defense. Notwithstanding the fact that Michigan has two individual defensive players better than anyone Penn State does, they do not have a better defense overall. Um, and, of course, the the bad news, the news that even we sympathize with, um, Ronnie Bell lost for the season on a punt return Um, the clear number one receiver for Michigan. They do have other options there. We mentioned Baldwin they brought in as a transfer, Cornelius Johnson, Roman Wilson, A.J. Henning. They have other guys that can step up and fill that role, presumably. But to lose a guy who's a reliable catch machine, who is very good getting yards after catch, and was a decent, if not explosive punt returner, all bad news. And certainly you don't want to see that for a guy who's a senior, probably still an NFL draft choice, but we'll see how that goes. Um, unfortunate news there speaking of unfortunate iowa 34 indiana 6
1: well i guess we were very wrong about indiana i i'm it could be that iowa is a just a transcendent team on defense this year but i'm feeling that it's m- like more likely than not that they are simply a little more towards nine wins than eight wins
0: probably so um i think there's a couple things worth noting first Michael Penix definitely looked thoroughly rattled by the crowd he saw in Kinnick Stadium. It's true that last year, his first full year as a starter, there were no crowds, and you, like by the time he was throwing his third interception, like you could be, like, you could see on the broadcast like the routes to receivers are supposed to run all jiggly, and like it, the it, you know it's a question mark as to which button you push to throw to that guy. The third interception he threw, his receiver had his back to him, and the defensive back like reached around him to intercept the ball. It was just, its one of those days where it's like I don't know what this guy's looking at, but he doesn't have it. This isn't going well, and Tom Allen's offensive staff could not find a mid-season or uh, a mid-game correction that made anything just, work. It
1: was just—it just snowballed out of control for Penix because I think part of the reason was because they couldn't get anything going in the run game, and then. Pennick started forcing things early and you had the two quick turnovers and he was looking to get it back. I mean, it just it was just a thing where it it all unraveled in in such a hurry. One bad one mistake led to another and ultimately that's you know, we we viewed this as a game that was going to establish is Indiana ready to be Iowa? No, they are not because if I they were ready was,
0: to be no, Iowa I never thought that was the question.
1: Because <laughs> if they were ready to be Iowa then they would not have let things continue to roll downhill because that's generally how
0: Iowa's been able to operate. If they were ready to be Iowa, they probably would have lost this game 17-13. Instead of 34-6 because, again, they gave them two defensive touchdowns. Iowa doesn't do that. And they would have scratched out a little bit more in the way of offense. But I never thought that was the question. I've never, again, I've never pegged Indiana as being on the Iowa track. They're on the Michigan State mid-stage Mark Antonio track. And this kind of game happened to Mark D'Antonio's teams 2010-11, that kind of time frame where the opponent had his offense figured out. He was not a guy who made adjustments very well on the offensive side of the ball. And the defense actually did about as well as you could expect for that situation. Iowa barely cracked 300 yards of total offense in this game. Just so, when you're
1: giving them the ball with short fields.
0: They didn't even know. They didn't even give them short fields. They gave them two defensive touchdowns. Like that's, yeah. Um, So yeah. I don't think Indiana is this bad, and I don't think Iowa is this good. But it does has to be said that at this point in the season, every other serious contender in the West has at least one conference loss. Um, this has to be the year that Iowa goes back to Indy with that kind of position, with that kind of jump out of, out of the gate, right? And then, again, the question of what to make of this for Indiana, we'll see if its first game jitters or and feeling a little bit of the pressure of expectation. I mean, how long has been since Indiana was ranked in the preseason. Uh, or we'll see if it was just kind of a flash in the pan last year, and unfortunately, they're gonna struggle to be more than a, a barely bowl eligible team. We'll see which is the reality.
1: If you're Iowa, things have to look good right now because in the West, you have Wisconsin's uh, Wisconsin's running game doesn't seem to be as proficient or, or the very least doesn't have the upside that's often thought that it does, and their their quarterback is turning into a bit of a pumpkin. Uh, Minnesota has picked up a conference loss and lost their best player. Uh, Illinois is Illinois, and it turns out it was way more Nebraska than Illinois. And they keep losing defensive starters for the season every single week. Uh, Northwestern is well... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. You can't count Northwestern. Se- now
0: September yet. Northwestern, yeah. So
1: um, and, and, and Nebraska is probably not going to be in it. And, you know, who knows about Purdue? But right now, you got to put Iowa as absolutely the
0: favorite to win the West. Prohibitively so. Yeah. Um, we'll move on then to... Kind of one of the the performances I was easier to feel good about. Maryland 30, West Virginia 24. A possible sort of low-key coming-out party for Taulia Tungavailoa. 26 for 36, 332, three touchdowns, zero turnovers. That's a sparkly line against a West Virginia defense that's thought to be still pretty good. They were very good last year and had some turnover, but still had a lot of those pieces around. Neil Brown still thought I was a pretty good defensive coach.
1: This was a really good game. It was back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Maryland limited the West Virginia rushing game pretty well. They wanted to run everything through Letty Brown, mm-hmm. and ultimately they only got 16 carries out of him because they were playing from behind, and he wasn't getting a whole lot of... You know, He broke off a couple of big ones, but ultimately down-to-down down it was not... I was impressed with the Maryland defense. I kind of thought that was where they would really struggle in this game and that they would cede control of it, whereas... I thought their offense would be a little, a little more jittery
0: than it ended up being. Yeah, but Rivers, they also they had
1: a hundred twenty yard rusher in this game, and Teon Fleet Davis.
0: Yep, and the, the the odd thing was, even though they had that big game from Fleet Davis down the stretch when they were killing the clock, they turned instead to Isaiah Jacobs, I think a converted receiver, and gave him a bunch of carries as well. Not as efficient because West Virginia is selling out on the run, but they have a couple options in the backfield. And they still have they have what looks like a pretty potent wide receiver combo with Dante Demas and Rakeem Jarrett. so
1: Each of whom caught a 60-plus yard touchdown pass. That was absolute, an absolute backbreaker for yeah. West Virginia, especially the one uh, late in the fourth quarter to make it a two-score game.
0: Yep, The pieces are there offensively for Maryland. The defense looks better than I think we expected it to at this point. Ruben got Hipp- four Ru- turnovers. Um, yeah, Ruben Hippolyte, I think I'm saying that name right, was a guy who jumped out to me on the screen. Uh, So, yeah, and we commented extensively, you know, Maryland is relying heavily on this big infusion of front seven talent to turn around their fortunes defensively. Uh, So far, so good. Look, this is uh, this is a power five conference opponent. This is a non-conference win. This certainly puts you in position to get to seven, eight wins should make a bowl game. No problem with the rest of their non-con, I believe. And so um, hard to give anything but high marks across the board for the Terps. We mentioned Iowa being the clear contender, the clear number one contender in the West. And if you're looking around for other possible bolts, you know wrenches in the in the gears there, um, do you consider Purdue after a 30 to 21 win over Oregon State? Probably well, not. Probably not by itself. That because of that data point alone.
1: But also, Jeff Brom has been pretty good against Iowa. All things considered.
0: Mm-hmm. And the so, other thing is. Purdue starts this game by giving up a touchdown march to Oregon State like right away and then they assert themselves they take control of the game. I think this was a bad weather game, wasn't it raining in this game or am I thinking of a different one? I we watched a ton of football way. this weekend. They all do start to blend together after a little while. But then they they go they get the experience of having Oregon State make a charge of it late. They score a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter. This is a Power 5 opponent, not a great one, but still one that you're going to get some fight from. They made a quarterback switch, and the backup gave them a spark. Um, but Purdue managed to stay themselves. They held them off. Um, Payne Durham became a reliable second option um, at the tight end spot to complement David Bell. And Plummer was on his spot, man. He, he was efficient. He was productive. The run game was really not still not great, but it chipped in about what it needed. And despite giving up the two fourth-quarter touchdowns, that's when Oregon State's going all out, doing what they can to make it a game. So this is a much-needed tally in Brahms' column as well, in my opinion. And I'm not saying that this— Oregon State was—we
1: kind of went over this. Not really the pushover that you would have assumed. Yeah. They've got some things going, especially on offense. Yeah. Under uh, well, Jonathan Smith yeah. as their coach. But that's... <laughs> the most
0: anonymous man in the world. They're not as, yeah, they're not where they were three, four, five years ago where they're one of the worst teams in FBS. Um, no, they're improved. Not great, but they're improved.
1: Definitely to, to have that, you know, we, we sort of said that Purdue was in a situation where maybe Jeff Braun was going to need to post a solid season and that door is still open.
0: Yeah, very much so. So, again, it's but one step, but a good one. Um, and now the last game of the week, both in terms of. Chronological order and in terms of things that really need to be said about it, um, Texas San Antonio 37, Illinois 30. I remember you saying at the beginning of our
1: of our recaps here that uh, you were absolutely right and everybody should listen to you. Well, you spent the last week telling me that I was an absolute fool to even be concerned about this game, and it was just a manifestation of my self-loathing. You,
0: in hindsight, <laughs> are completely over, overselling the conviction I had in this game, I thought it was kind. Of, I, I thought you shouldn't have been as pessimistic as you were. But ultimately, it's kind of a game that I've seen time and time again. It was the
1: Eastern Michigan game. It was kind of a bit of the Louisiana Tech. It was mo. It was mostly the Eastern Michigan game. That's what it reminded me most of. That and the uh, Western Michigan road game from 2008. But point is, you know, it doesn't matter who the coach is. Doesn't matter who the athletic director is. We're gonna lose these games all the goddamn time. Um, It's just what we do. It's our identity more than anything. Brett Bielma followed the rubric to a T, complete with a bizarre uh, punt return, giving them the ball back in his second game. He already got that part of the identity. And Blake Hayes can only do so much when we pin them to the six-yard line and they go March 94 yards and score. They did what I thought they had to do, which was to key in on Sincere McCormick and make them beat them with a passing game. And they did just that. They absolutely assassinated Devin Witherspoon. I was really surprised to see that. Um, oh, I don't remember the name of their receiver, which is no disrespect. I just think Franklin. I,
0: I think Franklin was the guy's last name. But that was I don't their, the first their quarterback. No, that's um, Frank Harris. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of franking on. What did I on. tell you? I'm always
1: right. So, um, yeah, Zachary Franklin. Yeah. Uh, had absolutely no answer for him, and then. On offense, we weren't able to run the ball consistently, and there's just not really going to be an ideal outcome when you have Art Sikowski pass the ball 43 times. He, was, he didn't turn the ball over, but that certainly wasn't for any lack of effort on his part. Uh, he had some wide-open throws because guys got lost in coverage that still ended up really needing big adjustments to be caught. So at the end of the day, Brett Beal had an opportunity to prove that things could be different right away. And at the end of the day, proved that we weren't going to escape that thing that we always do against these teams. UTSA's first game was played in 2011, which was our last winning season. But the good news is he's got a chance to exercise this particular demon when a similar team in Charlotte comes into town in four weeks. Also, as I pointed out in an article, boy, we've got like half the Mac over the next few years, so... You know, if he really wants to prove that Illinois' identity isn't losing these kinds of games every single time they have the chance to, he's got opportunities. I'm not going to simply wait around for recruits to come in and then wait around for them to get starts and get in the weight room and then be seniors. Uh, I want to see a coach take 42 seniors and make them better over the course of the year like everybody else gets to see happen.
0: So, get to work. There's that. Here's one question I have for you. Do you remember off the top of your head, how many transfers able to bring in? I know A a fair amount. Um, When you say a fair amount, keep in mind who you're talking to. Yeah, no, I mean, mean, I'm I'm
1: thinking like damn near double digits as far as guys that have seen uh, game action are concerned. Okay, Uh, I guess that's fair. The amount of those that haven't played because they've gotten hurt is really stunning. Uh, We lost our second... We lost a defensive starter for the second week in a row. Um, Ryan Hightower, who is a Lovey Smith guy, but our number one receiver, hasn't played yet this season, nor has Notre Dame transferred Japar Armstrong. Peters is hurt, too. Um, Brandon Peters is hurt, and uh, Illinois continues to hurt themselves by putting Derek Smith out there, starting safety. That guy is the Kevin Durant of being terrible
0: at safety. Um, yeah, well, I think okay, he long needs long to long. play linebacker or something. It's, okay, sure. It It's a dispiriting loss, no doubt. I'm not going to take that away from you. Um... And I grant that, okay, forgive me for thinking you ought to be able to beat a middle-of-the-road CUSA team, even with Lovey Smith's leftovers and a couple transfers glued onto it. Um, But I I don't know that I ever called you a fool because I trust that you know your team better than I do. I thought you were being a little overly pessimistic. And on paper, I think you were. But paper, of course, doesn't apply to the Illini. Y'all are a straight crypto-fucked-up program economy here. So I should have known better. And look, sooner or later... An opponent was going to be prepared for the tactical trickery of an even front.
1: <laughs> and I guess on the bright side, uh, our best receivers are former quarterbacks. Isaiah Williams is on pace to get about 80 catches this year, uh, which is really a lot more than I expected out of him. But, uh,
0: you know, ultimately and, and that got, whole. And the big play threat in due span. Yeah, that whole. That we all expected, right?
1: Thing is is, is going to get annoying. Um, I certainly hope it won't be like this, but 111 is on the table.